Thank you for joining us for this episode of Journey Now, produced by Journey Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. For more information on Journey Church and our gatherings, visit journeytn.com. Everybody, welcome to the Journey Now podcast. Kevin. Who? Kevin who? This is Mike, along with Tim. <laughs> yep. And Susie. Yep. And um and a fly. And there there's, is a there's, fly there's, in there's here. one fly. <laughs> which could be Kevin. It could be Kevin. Me. <laughs> loving me right now. Anyway, Kevin, who knows where Kevin is? Yeah. You yeah, know yeah. what? So but we happy. have an empty chair here yeah. in his honor. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And this past week, Susie Lind. Peeling. So, oh. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm trying to kill the fly, but I threw my glasses. Yes. We're doing great, everybody. We're yeah. doing great. It's a tight ship. So um Kevin will never leave again. So Susie Lynn, or as Seth calls her, Susie P. Lind, um, uh, walked us through a specific application of context as it applied to a pretty controversial passage, the woman caught in adultery uh, in John chapter 8. And um, if you haven't listened to it, uh, would highly recommend it because it takes several, several of the last, you know, uh, a bunch of information that we've spent the last few weeks going over and applies it to a specific text. Um, but we did get a we did get a question. This mm-hmm. is for those of you that that don't remember. This is the episode where a woman is caught in the very act of adultery and is brought before Jesus by the religious leaders. And um, and then what does Jesus do, Susie? You made some really profound points about shame at this point. What does Jesus do when when the crowd brings her? Yeah, I mean the crowd brings her forward and it's pretty clear from the text that they're they're actually just using her to lay a trap for Jesus. They first probably lay a trap for her because right. of being caught in the actual act of adultery. Yep. Um, but their whole purpose is to ensnare Jesus into something that they can accuse him of and mm-hmm. um, you know, they had their sights on killing him already. So um, but according to the law, according to Torah, you need two or more witnesses whenever anybody's accused of anything, which mm-hmm. leads us to believe that that trap was also laid out for her, that mm-hmm. the person she was with and or maybe even her mm-hmm. husband were likely in cahoots with the religious leaders to use her as the pawn in their scheme against Jesus. Yeah, because the whoever was yeah. the other party doesn't make an appearance. Yeah, so Jesus is kind of caught in this conundrum where he either breaks Roman law that doesn't hold um, that you that a death penalty in the case of adultery, or he goes against Torah, which does. Um, call for for the death penalty when it comes to adultery for both parties involved in the infraction. Right. And of course, they we only know the woman. They only bring the woman forward and publicly shame her. So this is a very shame-based I'm glad culture. that doesn't happen today. No, mm. no. The people don't get publicly shamed right. for adultery anymore. That's right. silly. <laughs> well, no, just the woman is kind of where I was oh, yeah. going with that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So highly patriarchal, Mm -hmm. highly shame-based culture. And Jesus sort of takes his time through the process. And what he does initially, rather than responding to the mob, he bends down and he starts writing in the sand. And then he gets up and he looks at the crowd and says, okay, so let any one of you who has no sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Mm -hmm. And then he bends down again and he writes in the sand again. Mm -hmm. And then as he gets up, one by one, they all leave, beginning with the older people first, it says. Mm -hmm. 
And then um, eventually only Jesus and the woman are left standing there. And he looks at her and says, woman, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. And then he replies, then neither do I. And he um, he invites her and sends her to go and sin no more or to go and leave her life of sin, depending mm-hmm. on which translation mm. you go by. Right. So, so a really big point that we want to make mm-hmm. Is that Susie, had she been there, would have left first. <laughs> is, that an old, is that an old person joke? No, no, no. I mean, it's I was just commenting. I was, I'm sorry, I was just, I was putting, no, putting no, myself Why up. does it always come down to <laughs> yeah. my age? And yeah. I'm younger than you. <laughs> yeah. Susie, I think you're doing 23 Thank is a you. great age. Yeah, Thank great you. age. Um, and for a marriage. Now, ladies and gentlemen, um, one of the really profound points that we were um, hoping to explore is the question about... Uh, what was written in the dirt that would have yeah. caused this? So we got a question on the text line. Do you yeah. have it handy? Yeah. I mean, the question was, what What do you think Jesus was writing? No, I mean, uh, quote it. Oh, you want specific- me to read it No, I was kidding. I mean, it. because oh it literally is that question. Day is <laughs> I don't know why. Really I was like, hard. hey, Susie, go ahead and read the question. <laughs> but I just saw it. Go ahead and did it. What do you think Jesus was writing in the dirt with his finger when he was being challenged about what to do with the adulterer? Yes. Yes, that, so that was a little bit, a bit of an upgrade over how I had yeah. originally stated the question. Slightly. Okay, yeah. so, so dear questioner, we have assembled a crack team of theological mm. experts. And here is our best... Greek student. Here is our best, exactly. Here's our best guess, all right? Susie, what do you say? Well, I don't have a best guess because we don't have any information about it. What? There's, there's Tim. No in, wait, no, I have things to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop. Unless I want to hear it. Thank you. So there's nothing in the text that tells us what he was writing. There's nothing in any of the manuscripts that say what he was writing. But there are theories. There have been many theories, right? You want me to tell you the theories? Because well, yeah, I kind of geeked where I was out going. on the theories. That's where I was I going. See, and this is what so. Was so what I was message. going for was Susie <laughs> saying, "I don't know." Me being shocked, and then going to Tim, yeah. who says, oh. "I don't know," and then me saying, "I don't know," and then theories. Theories. Want to try it? Hey, Susie, what do you think he said, wrote in the dust? I don't know. Tim, I don't know. Mike, I don't know. Yeah, but we have theories. Uh. <laughs> Comedic excellence. <laughs> oh, well, no. If you have to go back yeah. and explain it, not All so right, much. All right, so here's a couple of theories. One is that he was writing um, he was writing sins, basically, or right. you know, the opposite of, of the Ten Commandments of the law. So mm-hmm. like things that would lead the people in the crowd to come to terms with the fact that they have sinned through pride, greed, uh-huh. envy, you know, all those things. Which would tie into yeah. with that who is without sin cast the first right, stone. Right. The and other theory that I actually thought was that I loved, Do I've it. never heard this before. Do it. And Ladies and gentlemen, theory. Yeah. When I studied theory it, somebody, two. you know, I read somewhere that there was an um I don't even remember who it was that wrote about this, but they The theory was called Dos Hermanos. Oh really? Mm, see. Like really? No. No, that's no. Uh, Breaking Bad reference. Oh. I don't watch Breaking Bad. Okay. Although right. I went You're fine. well never mind. You're fine. Okay. So it takes us back to Exodus 31 in the, in, when the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. And it says in Exodus 31 that they were written by the finger of God. Mm. And so there's this theory that what he was doing as he was writing in the sand was something in relation to the Ten Commandments that was setting up his 
deity, basically, his identity uh. as um, one with the Father. And throughout John, that's really what he's doing. In all of these different stories that we read and interactions that we read with Jesus and other people, he's establishing his identity as as the Son of God, as equal with God. Oh, sorry. Good Lord, this sorry. fly is all over the place. So attacking. So there is something really beautiful about that. And then when you connect that to Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, when he says that he's come to fulfill the law, not abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and to think that he is the fulfillment huh. of every promise. Um, you know, that's, that's a beautiful thing to consider, that that would be something so powerful and so moving that it would compel those people who were so angry and bloodthirsty to actually put down their rocks and walk away. Hmm. Yeah. A moment of conviction Oof. by the Holy Spirit, if you will. Yeah. One, one, um, and, and we really are just speculating. Total we just speculation. don't know. But there, there's a passage in Jeremiah that I would, I, I've always imagined that this is what Jesus was either writing out the passage or some reference to this. But it says, Lord, Yahweh, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Mm-hmm. And so the living water reference obviously is adjacent to the John reference. And so it's just, so yeah. the John 8. So so the idea would be that Jesus is like declaring Messiahship, but also the, the messianic judgment on the people for forsaking mm-hmm. the ways of the Lord and using the dust um, to kind of embody that reference. Yeah. So that's just another theory, but we, we, we actually don't really know. Go ahead. No. And I mean, I, the whole passage is like, I mean, you could do like a couple of weeks just on this passage because mm-hmm. it is so full of imagery and meaning. And like, you could take a whole week on, on the fact that it was the older people that walked away first. Right. Like, what is that about? Is there something about maturity that leads us to hu- humility faster than, mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. when we're younger? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But the other thing that I think is really interesting when he bends down is in an honor shame culture like that to take the physical low posture, like you're physically literally going lower than everybody else in that crowd. Mm -hmm. There's also something very significant about that. Hmm. And as, as you know, who he actually was taking that lower position as being, you know, the savior that came to serve and not be served. And especially like with a woman too, who was like, I mean, she was treated like garbage from mm-hmm. the onset of the mm-hmm. story yep. and he's lifting her up and he's lifting her dignity up out of that place. And he does it by going really low publicly. Right. And that in and of itself, you know, maybe it doesn't even matter what he was writing, that it was just simply his posture mm. in that situation that was conveying who he is and what he came to do. Well, you said something I thought was absolutely brilliant. Which was, you know, he's now made himself the focal point. He's taken yeah. all the attention uh, off yeah. of the woman. By uh, going low. Uh, right. And now it's about him and what he's going to do and how he's going to respond. Mm-hmm. And so it's the woman now is a secondary player yeah. in the story, but in an honor-shame culture. For Jesus to take the shame of the situation upon himself that yeah. quickly was such a powerful, powerful and beautiful picture. And that's what I really like just in real time for me. That's what I love about studying the Bible, hmm. particularly like 
in the ways that we've been talking about engaging with it because I didn't even think about any of that really. Like that thought didn't come to a total fruition until yesterday afternoon for me. Mm. So Mm. it's like here I spent... We're recording this on a Tuesday. Yeah, Yeah. so I mean I spent how many hours, you know, studying and preparing for this message and writing it. How many drafts do I... I mean, if anybody knows me, I write several drafts of a sermon before it actually comes out into a message. And, And that that the the word of god is still like marinating and moving and churning and like growing in me and becoming part of my understanding of who god is like it's constant like it doesn't stop the minute i close mm-hmm. my book or my computer and stop working on the message like it has it has become so ingrained in me that it's still like you know swirling around in my brain and and creating new meaning for me. That's that. I mean, and that is such a big goal. Yeah. That we have for ourselves. Yeah. But our community too is that the that we approach the scripture not as something to be mastered or to stand over it and judging which parts mm-hmm. are you know the parts that I'm really going to listen to and which parts I'm not, but rather we we almost come under. Yeah. the scripture and allow and open ourselves up to its influence, the grace, mm-hmm. the truth, so on. And that's what I think it means to be formed by scripture mm-hmm. ra- and, and approaching scripture for formation rather than just information. Right. By letting it do all of those things. Right. So Tim, for you, I know this is a big emphasis that you have personally for your ministry, even in uh, in our church, like the outworking of, of the text and mm-hmm. so on. What are a couple of ways that you've seen that work, the the same thing that Susie's talking about, work itself out? Where the text, it it doesn't just sit in some information headspace, but it marinates and percolates all the way through. (sighs) I mean, my, my first question was like, how are the different ways that people would use this? Um, like take this passage. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm not answering your question yet, but how are, what are different ways that people would take this passage and um, weaponize it? Hmm. That's just a question, and then because I think I think your practice comes out of how you see. So so where why is that where you go? Oh, that was just a question I had earlier. I was thinking. Oh, okay. Because the the other side of it is go and sin no more, mm-hmm. which you talked a bit about on Sunday. Yeah. There are two different ideas of that. Just go into that real quick, would you? Two different ideas of going. Two different sin ways no more. of seeing. Live your life of sin or go and sin no more. Yeah. Can you give a little di- um, distinction between the yeah, two? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's as much of a distinction as it is that, like, so kind of going back to your how it was weaponized, I mean, the story itself was weaponized. It wasn't even included in scripture right, for, right. you know, until the third century. Right. Because there was all this controversy as to whether or not it belonged in in John, if he wrote it, if it was authentic all the things, but you know, 95.9% of the manuscripts have it in John, in the, yeah. in the place where we hold it in our Bibles today. Yeah. So the reason why a lot of people have, a lot of scholars have theorized that the reason why was because the church at the time, the early church didn't want to want women to feel emboldened to commit adultery. Like they didn't want the church to feel like Jesus was soft on sin, particularly yeah. adultery. So that's where I think it's been weaponized. And I, and I do think like the, the, the vibe of it, if you will, you know, you mentioned earlier today, like 
earlier in the podcast that like women are often the one that are blamed. Like I've mm-hmm. actually been in situations where someone's been accused of adultery and they have committed adultery. There's, you know, with, you know, another woman, another couple of women and, and the women are the ones that are blamed. Like mm-hmm. they're the ones who are looking for someone who had power and they're, they're the ones who were throwing themselves at this person. Yeah. And, and, and it's often, or, or, or his wife was even blamed that mm. she wasn't doing her part in their right, marriage. Right, so he right. had to go look elsewhere, right. you know? Wow. And wow. so there, there is that the spirit of that, mm-hmm. it, you know, has been prevalent, I think in the church, yeah. you know, and you know, when we talk about purity and we, we make it about clothing and modesty and, and it's really about what women are wearing and, mm. and what we're doing to cause men to stumble rather than you know, a corporate responsibility to, to love one another well and, and to, to be humble in our actions and in every way. Right. So, so I think in many ways it has been, it has been weaponized, but this idea of go and sin no more or go and leave your life of sin, he's definitely calling what she did sin or, or maybe it's not even what she did. It could be that she was living in some sort of sin that made her an easy target for Uh this scenario. Whether she was a victim of, of these plans or not, you know, she was a participant somehow in it. And so I think often like our sin isn't necessarily a result of something that we choose to do, but something that we end up in because of something that's been done to us. I mean, it's so much more complicated yeah. at times yes. than we really give it credit for. But regardless, she, like every single one of us, was a sinner. Right. You know, I mean, I have not participated in adultery, but I'm still a sinner in yeah. need of God's grace. And so there was this invitation to her to follow her, follow Jesus. But in, in, in that invitation is always a going and ascending and go and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. Go and don't walk in the darkness, but walk in the light. The verses that follow are I'm the light of the world. Okay. And um and, and it's this invitation to walk in the light of Jesus and out of the darkness of the world. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I, it depends on how you see that because there are people mm-hmm. that would see it from the side of, I mean, I, it, to me it's very clear, but you, you say, no, you just got to, let's judge in a sense. We've got to say, don't sin anymore. That's mm-hmm. the big point of it. Or is the grace the big point of it? Like right. I was thinking about people that I was... Well, and which comes first. Right. right. Do, do I need, in order... To it's not great. condemn somebody, do I need to first say, "Go and say no more," and now I will yeah. join you in the dust? We were, we were just with a mother um, of some kids, and her daughter has been experimenting with gender stuff and mm-hmm. sexually with you know other girls and trying to figure this out and had a girlfriend and mm. uh, this mom uh, was so scared and appalled. And the, the daughter's girlfriend came into the house mm-hmm. and, you know, and you could just see it in the mom and you just, you have mm-hmm. compassion for the mom. Yeah. But the way that she talked about the daughter's girlfriend that was in the house, mm. it was like she was the devil herself. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was, she, everything about that woman, she was saying, I just, when she walked in, I felt pure evil in the house and, oh. and we're sitting there going, whoa, I mean, I, Okay, I, I, I get what you're trying to do, maybe, but like, what, what does it look like to love? And it just became real tangible. Like, this story is mm-hmm. so she was chucking rocks mm-hmm. at this girl. Mm-hmm. And 
not willing to listen and hear where's that girl? What's yeah. her daughter's yeah. stuff? Right. How do we how do we love in the midst of this? And then then we can move into other territories. But right. I think practically, for me as I'm just looking at anybody, I think to just the practice for us as a community would be if we did this together. We said, how do we just start seeing people like Jesus see them? Like that's mm-hmm. the practice yeah. today. Mm-hmm. I see somebody at the grocery store who's very different from me. Yeah. Um, for me, that woman. I had to practice seeing that woman, that mom, like Jesus sees her. Because mm-hmm. I had many other thoughts right. for how she treated that girl and how yeah. she treated yeah. her daughter. And yeah, I just that that is such a powerful practice that I think Jesus mm-hmm. put I mean, he just nailed it right there. Yeah. And and an interesting question attendant to that practice would be what would Jesus have to write for you to walk away? So if, I you, can, if you were writing sins, that type of thing? Well, it could be a sinner. It could be something else. Like if I imagine myself as someone in the crowd and I'm eager, this upstart rabbi, this peasant who claims to forgive sins and man, he's really mocking the whole, the whole of Israel. And I'm there here. I mean, here it is. This is the scenario, right? We've worked for weeks on this. I've got a rock in my hand. What is it that Jesus would have to write for me to put the rock down and walk away? Now, it could be my sin, sure, but it also could be the grace I've been shown previously. It could be uh, the faithfulness of God throughout my life. It could be any number of things. Mm-hmm. We operate mm-hmm. in such a guilt, legal mm-hmm. sort of framework mm-hmm. that we can only imagine it's my sin. Um, Interesting. But like, if I were trying to emotionally access the point you were making, the practice about how it is to see another... Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in judgment of another. What is it at that moment that Jesus would have to write? Right. For me to put down the judgment, the rock, and to turn away and allow Jesus to take care of whatever that situation Mm -hmm. is. You know what I mean? So that's the question I was wrestling with is what would Jesus write? Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know that the theories we have, you know, whatever. But there are things that if he wrote them, I would, some of them, of course, are sins. But there are lots of other things too, you know, um, that if he wrote, I would be like, oh my goodness, I'd snap out of the yeah. judgment yeah. mode and, and go, yep, yep, you're right. What am I doing? What am mm-hmm. I doing? So attended mm. to that practice, I, I just like to envision yeah, I love that. what it is he'd write for me mm-hmm. so that I would put down the rock and walk away. And, um, and that's been a really sort of powerful thing. That's really good, Mike. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Susie. You did a great job. Any last thoughts, either one of you? No. Fantastic. Thanks so much for the great question. And um, we are just so honored always to be stewards of uh, your curiosity and wonder and skepticism. And uh, we just love that and we share in in that. And one of the ways we, we try to honor that is by spending a few moments every Tuesday morning wrestling through some of the questions that we get so thank you to Susie thank you to Timothy thank you to the fly standing here in Kevin's place and uh, anyway till next time folks thanks if you enjoyed today's episode we would love it if you would share a screenshot of this episode to your Instagram story and tag us at journey underscore tn and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app